when Lance asked me for a text for this evening, uh, the first text that came to mind uh, was the text that we're going to tonight. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse uh, 16 uh, through chapter 5 and, and verse 10. It's a passage that's been of uh, great encouragement uh, to my own heart, and uh, considering the, the news that the Quinn family received, I pray that it will be an encouragement to their hearts as well, and also to the, the rest of us. It's, a, it's really a message for, for all of us uh, to listen to and to benefit from, and uh, we may never battle advanced stage cancer, uh, but all of us will face uh, affliction, all of us will face pain, all of us will face suffering, uh, the decay of our own bodies, and eventually we'll all be called home uh, to be with the Lord. And uh, what will prevent you uh, during that kind of time from becoming angry with God, uh, from becoming bitter, from becoming uh, discouraged? You know, how can you embrace the path that the God has carved out for you uh, without losing heart and without giving up? And, uh, and that's what this passage uh, helps us out with. Paul helps us. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, we come face-to-face with the man who's contemplating his own mortality. Uh, in previous uh, passages, he held out the hope that he might be around until the second coming of Jesus Christ. In uh, 1 Corinthians, which was probably written only uh, two years before this letter in uh, uh, 54 or 55 AD, Paul says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, he says there, he says, Behold, in verse 51, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I've heard that it's, it's a great verse for the, for the nursery, right? You know, we shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed, right? <laughs> I, hey, I, I heard it from a church that, uh, that Lance actually used to, to serve at, so <laughs> thought I'd pass it along, you know. I, I've been around Lance too long. His jokes are starting to rub off on me. But it says, in a, twinkling in, the, in, a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. And Paul actually includes himself in that category. When he says, we will be changed, and when he says, we will not all sleep, he's including himself thinking that I might still be around when Christ comes back. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, written about 51 AD, Paul says this in uh, chapter 4, in verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, including again himself, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. But in 2 Corinthians, which was written around 56 AD for the first time we know of, Paul is grappling with the fact that he might not be physically present on the earth when the Lord comes back. And in uh, chapter 4 and verse 16, he says these words, he says, the outer man is decaying. Speaking about his his own body, the outer man is decaying. In chapter 5 and verse 1, he says this, this earthly tent is being torn down, again, speaking about his body. And in this passage, which speaks about Paul coming to the end of his journey, Paul doesn't want to to limp across the finish line. He wants to come across the finish line in full vigor and spiritual vitality. He's poised to break across the tape in victory and bold and daring confidence uh, because he's trusting in the Lord who is powerful enough for him to even overcome affliction, the affliction that that he faces. And in this passage, it's about the uh, the endurance of of faith, uh, in the face of affliction and, and death, he repeats this, this phrase three times in chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, we do not lose heart. In chapter 5, verse 6, he says, therefore, being always of good courage. Chapter 5, verse 8, we are of good courage. And I'm reading from the, the NASB, the New American Standard Version here. And the word courage that's used here, it means to be bold, to be confident, 
And in, in its basic sense, it meant to dare. That he could, he could look at even the end of life almost like, I dare you. Like, like uh, he had that kind of confidence, even as he approached the end of his life, he could face even death with the boldness and the confidence that recognizes that the kind of salvation that he had in Christ was impenetrable, that it was so secure that nothing could destroy it. The kind of faith that he had in his God, it didn't matter what life threw at him, it didn't matter what kind of uncertainties surrounded him, he could face even the end of, of life with a boldness and a confidence because of the trust that he had in his God. And what we learn here is that the Christian is more than just bulletproof, the Christian is deathproof. The Christian has such a confidence that he has uh, before the Lord that it doesn't matter what comes at the Christian. We can die with the daring confidence that says what Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And the the confidence that we stand in doesn't rely on our own strength. Uh, We realize that that God is the one who gives us the victory. And uh, Paul continues on to say in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to examine five keys to having an enduring hope, an enduring hope that are rooted in this text. And uh, these were true for Paul. Uh, these are true for uh, us today as well. Five keys to having an enduring hope. Let's take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, and I'll go ahead and read the text for you. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Would you bow with me just for a quick word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just come before you this uh, evening, and uh, Father, we thank you for this text. Uh, Father, we're rich in a glorious text, and uh, Father, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to to focus our attention on what you would have to say to us, and uh, Father, that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name we pray and give you thanks. Amen. I want to give you five keys to having an enduring hope, and number one, the first key here is that believers maintain a heavenly perspective. Believers maintain a heavenly perspective. What we look at aren't the things that the world around us looks at. In verse 18, it says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. What we find in, uh, in verse uh, 16 uh, down to, to verse 18 is uh, the, the contrast between what the, the world hopes in and what the, the, the world trusts in and what the believer trust in. The security of the world is based on what we can do, what we can feel, what we can see, you know, all the, the tangible things, but, but that's a limited perspective that doesn't characterize the Christian. Uh, we don't place confidence in what we can do. Look at verse 16 again. It says, therefore, 
we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And as I mentioned to you before, uh, Paul is grappling with the reality that he, he might not be around for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And by the time he writes this letter, the, the ministry that he's been involved in has started to take a toll on his body. He was starting to even feel the, the, the effects of, of decay internally. And he says, my outer man is decaying. But he recognized that even though he had survived the, the, the attacks of different persecutors, that he wouldn't outrun death. That, that one day, and it's going to happen to all of us, that death will catch up to us. So Paul is starting to, to grapple with this in his, in his own life. And uh, all of us, to one degree or another, we're all in the, the process of decay. Whether, whether, whether you, you know of a disease that you have or not, we're all in the process. Uh, I read this in a, in a health magazine that scientists have found that mental decline occurs in our 40s, but our organs start declining much earlier. Most bodily functions peak shortly after 30 and start going downhill. So if you're, if you're over 30, uh, welcome to, to over the hill. <laughs> Like, we're, we're all cresting and, and going, going where uh, all of us go, right? And that's not too, too encouraging for, for most of us, but like it or not, your strength will fail you. Like it or not. And if, if you don't have more holding you up than, than your physical body, you will not be able to look at the future with confidence. You won't be able to look at the future with confidence because you can't trust in these bodies. You can't trust in it. But here's the encouraging no, news that, that even though your physical body will peak and decline. Your spiritual life continues to be renewed day by day. And if we're making an investment in our spiritual life, we can continue to see the return on that investment right up until our very last breath. We can continue to, to increase and to, to grow in our spiritual man, even up until our 80s, our 90s. We can be in the best spiritual shape of our lives. It's not dependent on the, the body that we have. In uh, Romans chapter 8, in verse 29, it lets us know that we've been predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the, the spiritual goal of our, our lives, that day by day, we would look more and more like the Savior. That's, that's the goal of our Christianity. And uh, if we look more and more like the Savior, that's the kind of heavenly perspective that we should have, that, that every day I'm trying to look more and more like Jesus Christ. In uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, talks about bodily discipline. It's only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for, the, for all things because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You can continue to grow in your spiritual life right up until the final moment. And the question is, is what are you investing your life in? Are you investing your life in, in what's temporal? Or are you investing your life in what's, what's eternal? We don't place our confidence in what these bodies can do. We also don't place confidence in what our, our bodies feel. In verse 17, he talks about this momentary and light affliction uh, that's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far, far beyond all comparison. And the, the affliction that Paul suffered was physical. He also suffered a, a mental a kind of a affliction as, as well. If you, if you look over into to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if uh, you want to flip over there real quick, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul talked about uh, some of the things that, that he endured. And uh, just think about the combination of, of all of these afflictions in the same person. This is the same person who's experiencing all of this. Look at uh, uh, verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, in, uh, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, and just goes on and on. I mean, this is just one life. 
This is this one person experiencing all of these afflictions. And beyond all of that, there was the mental and emotional hardship that he endured for the sake of the, the churches. Look at verse 28. Apart from such external things, as if that wasn't enough, right? Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches, all the churches that he, he ministered to. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? And uh, the Corinthian church in particular uh, was of, a, of, of really a, a pain, pain for the Apostle Paul because of the, the sin that they were involved in. He spent nearly two years of his life ministering to this congregation, according to Acts chapter 18. And, and this church that he spent two years of his life ministering to was questioning whether or not he was really an apostle. And it's like, are you kidding me? I've given two years of my life to you. Like, you know me. You know better than this. And here this, this congregation that he's poured his life out for is wondering, I'm wondering if Paul is really an apostle or not. He's like, do you know what kind of pain that is for my heart? That I've poured my life out for you and you still don't even know whether or not I'm an apostle? He says, beyond all the, the physical things I, I suffer, I suffer with the, this emotional fatigue because of the churches that I've ministered to. And if feelings alone determined endurance for the Apostle Paul, he would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. If that's what it was all based on, what he could feel and what he could experience, but as weighty as the picture of suffering as that is, Paul says it's light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. That's not all that life is about. There's much more to the story than just what I'm experiencing in this life. As weighty as that was, our sufferings as believers, actually increases the joy that we experience in eternity, which is a wonderful thought to think about. Paul says the affliction produces a weight of glory. The affliction produces a weight of glory, which says that there's some kind of correlation between the affliction that we suffer and the weight of glory that we'll experience in the future. They're related. How are they related? It's not to say that all suffering guarantees some kind of reward, but a suffering that causes the believer to look towards Christ. A suffering that causes the believer to look towards Christ is a suffering that's rewarded. It, it, it produces this eternal weight of glory. It's, it's, it's not all suffering, but it's a suffering while we look. While we have a, a heavenly perspective, which is what it says in verse 18. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. If your suffering causes you to look towards the things that are not seen, that suffering is producing for you an eternal weight of glory. And I love the, the contrast between the momentary and the light compared to the eternal and the weighty. The eternal and the weighty. And that's the heavenly perspective that we need to have as believers. And also as believers, we don't place our confidence in what we can see. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are, are not seen. And it seems like a, a paradoxical statement. You know, how can you see what can't be seen? You know, we look at things which can't be seen. You know, you know how you look at things which can be seen. You know, you use your eyes. How do you look at something that you can't see? You use, use what? Faith. For we walk by what? Faith and not by sight, it says in uh, chapter 5 and verse 7. We, we look at things which can't be seen with the, the faith. Our eyes can only behold things that are going to perish. Everything that we look at, everything that we behold with our eyes is, is, is on its way out. It all has an expiration date, Right? The things that we can see with our eyes are on their way out, but the things which we can't see, those are the things that are eternal. We live in a, in a world that's perishable, right? Everything has a, has a date, you know, best used by such and such a date. Everything that we look at has a best used by kind of date. Everything has an expiration date, but the things which are not seen are the things which are eternal. I remember uh, just yesterday I was speaking with, uh, with Beth, 
and I asked her about, um, you know, just the affliction that she was enduring and, uh, you know, what kind of perspective has this given you just as you look at life? And uh, I remember what she said is, she said, you know, I can see the deception of Satan so clearly. You know, as I, I go to the mall and, you know, people are so worried about, you know, what kind of, what kind of outfit am I going to buy and what kind of present am I going to buy and what kind of food am I going to eat and, you know, what am I going to get over here? And she said, it's just so empty. And all these people who are spending so much time worried about, you know, how am I going to fix my hair and, and, you know, what am I going to wear today and what am I going to buy for this person or that person? All these people so concerned about the external and have no attention that they give to their souls. What kind of attention are you giving to your soul? Because your soul is eternal. Your soul is eternal. I just, I just love that perspective. Having a, a heavenly perspective, our confidence can't be placed in what we can see because everything that we see is going to perish. Our, our, our hope has to be placed in what we can't see, what we can't see, where, where, where we have things that are eternal, a heavenly home, a heavenly reward, a heavenly soul, and a, and a heavenly presence of the, of the Savior himself. And that's the kind of perspective that we need to have. The rest of these I'm going to move through much more quickly, but this is number two, okay? That was all number one. Number two. Thanks for giving me a little more time, Lance. Number two. (laughs) Number two, believers find comfort in a heavenly place. Look at chapter five. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so so here he talks about this this, this building that we have that's made by God. Are our human bodies like the world around us are temporary? Are our human bodies will need repair? And our human bodies will one day be beyond repair. And what Paul did is he picked up an illustration which would have been, he would have been thoroughly familiar with because he likens the human body to a tent. He likens the human body to a tent. And uh, Paul, according to Acts chapter 18, verse 3, was, was a tent maker by trade. He, he was familiar with tents, which would have meant that he would have repaired tents that could be repaired, or he would have replaced tents that couldn't be repaired. He was a tent maker. And the, the picture that Paul uses for the human body is of the tent. The tent, which can be torn down, ripped apart, damaged, discarded, which can die, and which is characterized by, by the Bible says, this, this groaning that we experience in life. And as believers, we recognize that the frame that we live in is not our final resting place. It's temporary, just like a tent is temporary. And uh, tents aren't all that comfortable to, to stay in, right? <laughs> I'm not sure how many of us would want the tent to be our, our permanent dwelling place. I remember... Uh, you know, at the Master's Seminary, sometimes I'd go out on the, the, the Master's Seminary uh, um, uh, camping trip. You know, Ray Maringer, who was uh, over at Missions there, he would take all the students out, you know, who wanted to go on a camping trip. And it was my first time kind of camping, you know, so I'm buying a tent. It's like, oh, this is exciting. You know, you get the tent, you know, get your, your kind of, you know, sleeping bag all ready to go and pack the family up and bring some things that you're going to snack on. And then you finally get out there and it's like, hey, we're having a great time. Enjoy the day. And then you, you're ready to go, go to sleep. And I remember the first time I went without the air mattress because I was, you know, I'm a newbie. You know, I'm just kind of snuggled up on my, on my uh, inside of my sleeping bag with my wife. And, you know, by the morning, I was hating life. <laughs> it's like, I thought this was grass down here. I thought grass was supposed to be soft. You know, I'm laying on a rock and it's like, this is hard. This is hard living. And I'm, I'm very thankful to, like, pack up the tent and go home, <laughs> right? And, and Paul here, he, he, he talks about the the human body is this tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. This isn't the place that you're meant to stay. This place isn't meant to last forever. And the idea of a house is this permanent stability, protection, security. I mean, all those words you think of when you think about a, about a house. It's not threatened by the elements uh, around it. It's a, 
uh, notwithstanding the fires that you guys are having out here in California, but the, the house is meant to be a permanent dwelling place, right? It's meant to be a permanent dwelling place. And we will have an eternal home in the heavens where uh, Revelation 21 verse 4 says, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Our, our earthly dwelling place is subject to, to pain, to disease, and will one day be broken down and unable to repair itself. But the, the eternal dwelling that God has given us, it's, it's free from even the, the sound of pain. Even the sound of pain, the groaning, the crying, the, the mourning. Like there's, there's not even any of the sound of pain in heaven. It's beyond that. And the moment we die, we're transferred from, from pain to paradise. That's what Jesus assured the thief on the cross with, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. We go from this earth from pain to paradise. And the scriptures indicate that until the return of Jesus Christ, the saints in glory, you know, they dwell in a spiritual form. Uh, but uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, it talks about the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So, so there's this, this spiritual form that they, they dwell in. But uh, at that moment when Christ comes back, you know, that we receive these glorified bodies that are, that are made for this, this permanent dwelling of our, our spirits. And we long for that as believers, right? We long for that time, long for that. And uh, this is just as a, as a side note, this would have been a, a rebuke for the teachers of, of Paul's day who believed that matter was inherently evil, like the body is inherently evil. And he's saying, no, like what we long for is to have the permanent dwelling place. That's what we're looking for. And that's a thought that can motivate you to live with a daring kind of confidence, living with, with this hope when you know that your home is with Christ, then death becomes your ride home. Death is just your ride home. I, I, listen to one preacher, he said, it's like your Uber showed up. You know, my ride home is here, right? That's, that's what, what death becomes. Ignatius wrote this in 110 AD. He says, come fire, cross, battling with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, mangling of limbs, crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil. Only let me get to Jesus Christ. I mean, that is the goal. Just let me get to Jesus. And if, if, you're going to, to live with a bold and daring confidence. You need to maintain a, a heavenly perspective and find comfort in your heavenly place, that this is not my final dwelling place. The place that I'm looking for is in the eternal abode of, of God. Number three, uh, believers find assurance in a heavenly pledge. Look at verse five of uh, chapter five. It says, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. As a pledge, believers find assurance in a heavenly pledge. How can you endure without losing hope? What's your source of strength as believers? We're indwelt by the all-infinite Spirit of God. We're indwelt by God Himself, the Holy Spirit. And the Bible lets us know that everyone who's born of God has been given the Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 9, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So, so the Holy Spirit is given to believers, and we have many ministries of the Holy Spirit that are given to us in Scripture. The, the, the Holy Spirit is our helper, He's our teacher, He's our guide, He's, He brings us joy, He brings us peace, He enables us to live the Christian life. But there's an additional ministry of the Holy Spirit that you might not think about often, but the Holy Spirit is our pledge. He's our pledge. And that's what, that's what it talks about here in, in verse 5. The Spirit is our pledge. The, the Greek word for, uh, for pledge here is the, the Greek word uh, arabone. It was uh, the word that was used for a down payment, for a, an earnest money deposit. It was a commercial loan term uh, used for a guarantee that a full payment was coming. When you put a, a down payment on a house, what you're saying is, I'm so serious about buying this property that if I walk away, you can keep my money. That's what, that's what you're saying when you put down this, this earnest money. It was actually kind of interesting. It's the word that Greeks use today for an engagement ring. You know, so when they, they, they kind of stick this, when, a, when a, a suitor sticks this ring 
you know, on a, on a girl's finger. What he's saying is that I'm so serious about taking you all the way to the, to, the, to the altar to marry you that I'm going to invest money in a ring to show you how serious I am. And basically he's saying, you know, if, if, I, if I don't follow through, you know, you can keep the ring. You know, and then you hear these stories about girls that you're like, oh, he's left me and throw their ring in a river or flush it. Like, why are you, what are you doing? Keep the money. <laughs> Just keep the money. It's yours. You know, get all that you can for it. But here's, here's the concept. Here's the concept. If the Holy Spirit is your pledge, what God is saying is that I am so serious about taking you all the way to glory that if I go back on my promise, you can keep the Holy Spirit. You can keep the Holy Spirit. Basically, he's saying, I mean, there would be a rupture in the Trinity itself if I go back on this promise that I've given you of eternal life. It's, it's basically the, the same kind of picture. We were given a similar picture in uh, Genesis chapter 15, if you remember that, when uh, God made a promise to, to Abraham, and he, he walked through the, the middle of the, the sacrifice. You know, the, he laid, laid open the, the sacrifice and, you know, killed these animals, walked through the sacrifice, put Abraham to sleep, walked through the sacrifices alone. And basically what he was saying is, is, if I don't follow through with my covenant to you, let what happened to these animals happen to me. You know, may, may I go out of existence if I don't follow through with the, the covenant that I'm giving to you. And what God is saying is that I am so serious about taking you all the way to glory that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a pledge and that if I back out, you can keep the Spirit. And, and, and is, is God doing that? Is God going out of existence? Absolutely not. He's saying I'm so serious about this, this covenant, this promise that I'm giving to you. And we can, we can have a, an eternal hope if we, we understand this. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The, the kind of hope that we have in our salvation is so secure that God put his entire existence on it. His entire existence. It's that guaranteed. It's that solid. Number four, believers are captivated by a heavenly preference. Look at verses uh, six to eight. It says, therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer, rather, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, as uh, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And what we, we learn here is that, that believers have a, have a heavenly preference. We would prefer, we would prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And what, what makes a, a believer endure affliction with, with this, this kind of confidence and hope? It's, it's that they have a heavenly preference. They have a heavenly preference. And the, the glorious, powerful, and encouraging truth that we have communicated in these verses is that once believers depart from this life, they're immediately at home with the Lord. No lapse of time. Grammatically, the, the phrase is to be absent you know, from the, the body and to be at home with the Lord, they, they explain one another. It's, it's called an appositional relationship, which means that, that to be absent from one is to be present in the other. You know, there, there's no lapse of time. You know, to be gone from one is to be present in the other. And there's no period of soul sleep, no dormancy. Believers immediately and instantly and permanently are placed into the presence of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a home that's much to be preferred, the Scripture says, right? In uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 Paul says that I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. That is my preference. It's not just to say that, that you know, I don't want to be sick, I don't want to have a body that aches, and I don't want to 
face affliction. What he's saying is that if, even if I had a healthy body, I'd still prefer to be at, at home with the Lord. I'd still prefer that. It is far better to be at home with the Lord. And believers have this, this heavenly preference because heaven is our, our true home. And while we walk this earth, we're homesick for a place that we've never seen before. Homesick for a place that we've never, never been. And uh, the faith that we have as believers makes us yearn for that unseen home of, of glory. The, the, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're eagerly waiting for a Savior. In John chapter 14, verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And can you even imagine being in the presence of Christ and wanting to come back? You know, that, that is my home. You know, that's, that's where we belong. That's where we all belong, right? As believers, we have a heavenly perspective, a heavenly place, a heavenly pledge, a heavenly preference. And lastly, we also have a, a heavenly pursuit. Look at uh, verse, uh, verse 9 again over here in chapter 5. Look at verse 9. It says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And as believers, we're motivated by this, this heavenly pursuit. Uh, Paul calls it this, this ambition. We have this ambition. And what motivates believers to, to endure whatever life throws at them with certainty and assurance and this daring boldness is that they have this desire, this, this deep desire that I just want to please God in whatever I face. It doesn't, doesn't matter what affliction I face. That It is my desire to be pleasing to God. It's what keeps me going. That word ambition is a word that means to seek honor. And that the greatest honor and privilege of a believer's life is to be pleasing to God. That is my greatest desire out of all things is to be pleasing to Him. That's, 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 that's what we live for. And our transition to glory just means that we'll be able to please God perfectly. Perfectly. You know, all that we long for, all that we hope for, you know, all, all the times that you fail in this life, it's like, I want to please God, but you, you know, you take those, those, you know, three steps forward and two steps back. You know, you always, you know, uh, uh, find yourself, you know, failing and faltering. And, but but in, in, in our transition, we'll be able to please God perfectly. That's our, that's our hope. That's the ambition of the Christian is to please God perfectly, to please the one that we, we love and love for Jesus Christ is the evidence of a, of a true conversion. True conversion. We put his goals and his desires above our own. That's what we do as believers. And uh, those who, who place Christ first, who love Christ with their, their hearts, souls, and minds, the, the Bible says that there's grace, there's blessing for those people. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. You know, that's, that's a description of the believer, that we love Jesus that's, that's who we are as believers. We love Jesus. We desire to please Jesus Christ. And then there's this curse on the other side for those who don't love Jesus Christ, those who don't have any desire to please Him. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. And this is a good time to, to ask the question, what do you love? <laughs> what is your pursuit? Do you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is this really what you long for? That, that it's just a, My life is all about pleasing Him. It's just my ambition as a person to please Him. And if you don't hear anything else, what I want you to hear is that, uh, that if that's not you uh, this, this evening, that if, if you can't say that it is my desire and ambition to please God, that, uh, that you need to, to check the foundation because that is not the mark of a believer. If you don't have a desire to please and honor God, you're, you're not living a life that, that, that commends you as a believer before God and before others. There is, there is a God 
uh, regardless of what people want to want to say or admit or not. You know, everybody knows within their heart that there's there's a God. You know, just the world around us get, bears evidence. You know, uh, God has made Himself known. We've sinned against this God, and uh, what God has done, and this is what we we uh, we celebrate at Christmas time, is that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to to live the life that we cannot live, the perfect life that we cannot live, and to to bear upon Himself the 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 penalty for our sins, being the substitute for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. Right. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And uh, that's the only way that we can even start to begin to, to please God. You know, without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. I mean, this is the first step to, to come to, to know Jesus Christ and those who come to, to know him. They're the ones who turn from their sins to trust in him and they make it their ambition. That's the ambition of their life to please God. And it says here that that we make it our ambition. This is what Paul says, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And understand that we must all appear before this judgment seat of, of Jesus Christ. So uh, in closing, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Do you really have a heavenly perspective? You know, is, is that really what you look at? Is that what your, your eyes focus on? You know, the eyes of your heart? The heavenly things, the eternal things. Are you so wrapped up in this world and its system that, you know, these are the things that you, you grab onto with all your, your might? Or are you really reaching up to, to what's, what's above? Do you have a heavenly perspective? Do you find comfort in a heavenly place? Or is it all about what you can amass down here? Do you really find comfort in a, in a heavenly place? Do you have assurance in, in the heavenly pledge that the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a guarantee of your future redemption? Is, is that what really really helps your heart to, to have, have joy and peace and hope that I have a heavenly pledge that, that Christ will never turn away from me. That, that, that God will never go back on His guarantee of my salvation because I have a heavenly pledge. I have the Holy Spirit. Do you have a heavenly preference? Or would you prefer to stay here? <laughs> do, you, do you have a heavenly preference that I would prefer to go home and be with the Lord? I mean, that would be far better. It would be far better. And do you have a heavenly pursuit? Are you really pursuing the things above? Is it your ambition to please Christ? That is, that is, that is just the, the joy of my heart to know that I'm, I'm living a life that's pleasing to God. And all that's worthless, all that's selfish, all that's without value is what's going to be burnt up. But I'm, I'm really pressing on to, to what's ahead. So what's, what's your focus? The outer man or the inner man? What's decaying or what's being daily renewed? The momentary or the eternal? The light or the weighty? The affliction or the glory? The seen or the unseen? The earthly or the heavenly? The tent or the building? That which is torn down or that which is being built up? Being absent or being present with Christ? To live by sight or to walk by faith? What, what, what are you after? What, what's, what's the real desire of your, hope, of your heart? And if you're not firmly anchored into eternity, the, the waves of life will knock you out cold. <laughs> if you're not firmly anchored into eternity, the things that we experience in this life will knock us out flat because that's all we have to hope in. It's all about what's here and what's now. If we don't have our, our, our hope anchored in eternity, uh, the things of life will knock us out. We need to have an enduring kind of hope. Amen? Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and uh, Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for the encouragement uh, that it brings to us. 
Uh, Father, we thank you for the hope that it gives to us. Uh, Father, we thank you that, uh, that during times of, uh, of affliction, uh, Father, that we know that, uh, uh, that what we have right now is not all that there is. And Father, that gives us hope. Uh, Father, that we can look with the eyes of faith into the, uh, the eternal uh, redemption, uh, Father, that's uh, being prepared, Lord, even, even now. Uh, Lord, as uh, Christ said, that I go away to prepare a place for you, that I'll receive you unto myself. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for uh, the hope that we have as believers. Uh, Father, I thank you for the, the hope that, uh, that Beth has, uh, Lord, because she's placed her faith in you. Uh, Father, I thank you for the pr- perspective that you've, you've given to her. And, uh, Father, we do pray for her healing. Uh, Father, we do pray that uh, you would uh, allow her to uh, uh, continue to, uh, 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 to minister to her, her family and to this church. And, uh, Father, we just thank you for uh, what she means to, to so many. And, uh, Father, we uh, I just pray, Lord, that uh, uh, for, uh, in mercy, Lord, that you would uh, uh, reach out to her, Lord, and uh, allow the, uh, uh, the different testing, Lord, that's uh, going to take place, Lord, to, uh, to be fruitful, Lord, and uh, that you guide the hands of the doctors and their minds, that you grant them wisdom. Uh, but, Father, we, we know that, uh, uh, that this life, and all of us, Lord, uh, should know that this life is not all that there is. And uh, if this life is all that we have, Lord, we're, we're to be, of, of all the men, the most to be pitied. Uh, but, Father, this is not all that we have. Uh, Father, we look forward to the resurrection. Father, we uh, uh, thank you for our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, uh, Father, we, uh, uh, even now, Lord, we, uh, uh, we pray that, that all of us, uh, Lord, along with the Quinn family, Lord, would look to you and that we would gain a heavenly perspective and an enduring hope. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. Amen.